Welcome back to another episode of Seeing Life from a Different Angle. I believe this is episode number nine. And so I thought today we would talk a little bit about the question of responsibility. Because I think it's one of those things that we face in life, whether we want it or not. And it's one of those things that we deal with in our own particular ways, depending upon our own particular place, our own particular perspective. And then basically upon our own psychological makeup. I think there's no doubt that each of us can admit to some degree that we struggle at times with taking responsibility for all the things that are going on in our lives. We as quickly slough it off as we can, saying that, you know, it's not really my responsibility or it's not really something I should think about or be upset about, you know, that person that that got hurt that wasn't my responsibility you know they put themselves in that place they did those things that got them in that place but it goes back to something that we've been talking about which is the question of you know how do we take care of our fellow man and is mankind not our business you know i had a chance this past week to sit with mary my wife and to watch the written the scrooge from 1951 which i think is the best of all the scrooges and Christmas carols and of course that's one of the things that Jacob Marley says is that mankind should be our business and so when we think about it you know we have a duty to some degree to take responsibility for those people that are in our lives and even those people that are not you know the the beggar on the corner or the neighbor who's struggling or the friend who's having a difficult time or the child who is crying, you know, these are individuals that we have an opportunity to take care of. But we'd much rather rush more often than not to not taking any measure of responsibility. And I think it's an interesting thing to consider as to why it is we choose to not take responsibility or take the opportunity for responsibility. You know, my <clears throat> talking with my wife earlier today, we were talking about something she had read on Facebook, and I thought it was fascinating because it talks about the idea of prayer and how when we ask someone to pray, it is not a burden on them to pray for us or to pray for something that we're hoping to get prayers for, that we need changes in our life for. And I think of it this way is it really is a gift. You know, it's one of the needs that we have talked about is the need to meet the needs of other people. And it's probably if we can do it in a way that is the least pathological the most healthy in other words it really is a blessing to us because it gives us something that we would not ordinarily have you know we're feeding and gratifying the psychological needs spiritual needs of another human being and in doing so you know we're helping them out and in a way if we think about it it's taking a measure of responsibility for them that we're thinking about what it is that's important for them what it is that they need what it is that they're going through I think that's part of the reason why it is we struggle with responsibility is that we are much more inclined to focus on ourselves and our own needs, our own gratification. You know, when we look at how we develop psychologically, you know, when we are just infants and our ego is developing, you know, it comes into being as a way of helping us to decrease the tension that exists within inside of us psychologically 
but it's confronted with a world that can be very giving or cannot be very giving. And more often than not, the world isn't as giving and nurturing as we long for it to be. And we all know this. I mean, I think there's not a single soul who could come along, you know, except perhaps Christ, who could say, my parents were wonderful, they were loving and nurturing, and they gave me everything that I was looking for, everything that is truly healthy for me. I don't think that such a thing truly exists. Indeed, if it did exist, I don't know that that would be a really healthy person, honestly. But I do think that one of the struggles that our ego then has is how do I get what it is I need? And I contest that what we refer to as the seven deadly sins, you know, gluttony and greed and avarice and sloth and others, these sins really are byproducts of the ways that our ego has learned to deal with the world. And it does come back to one basic principle, which is I need to reduce this tension. And if I don't, I will be afraid. And as we've talked about, fear is a part of every one of our lives. We all have certain fears that spawn from two primary fears, which are the fears of being abandoned or expelled and the fear of our own destruction. And so I think when we look at it, the ego's response to a world that is ungiving is to try the best it can through unhealthy and increasingly pathological ways to get what it is that it needs in order to ease the tension within the psyche. And in so doing, you know, we become these unhealthy beings. We start looking at the world in unhealthy sorts of ways and we develop our own philosophies about life based upon this pathological perspective. Now, you take a, a glance at any philosopher. More often than not, if there's some quote-unquote development that this philosopher has gone through, like Nietzsche, for instance, you know, the development that he went through was not really, I think, based upon a healthy growth, but indeed an increasingly pathological one. And as a byproduct, you know, when we think about, you know, these psychological needs that we have and the paths that we take to get these needs gratified, it manifests itself in how we relate to the world and how we relate to others. I know that it seems like I'm avoiding the question of responsibility, but that's the point, is that how we relate to others is a byproduct of that pathological way that we deal with life. You know, it affects us in every way. You know, this week at church, we had the priest talking about how the parish had given $22,000 in gift cards to the poor um, from this gift giving, tag giving, uh, giving tree type of thing that we do at church. And I think that is one of those moments where you can look and say, you know, I'm so pleased that people are taking care of others. But that's the, and that's the key. It does come down to responsibility. It does come down to this moment where we can say, you know, I am taking responsibility for other people in my life. And I think the more willing we are to take a measure of responsibility, the healthier that we can recognize ourselves to be. As we've discussed, you know, man evolves throughout his life. You know, he begins at a very primitive place. And while that primitive place does have, quote unquote, blessings, 
as we've talked about the wide open reality, which I think is a great blessing and a sadness that we don't live in that space more often. And if not all the time, you know, we develop through these places and we cling in those spaces, whether it's a place of subsistence or a place of existence. And if we're fortunate, a place of living, but wherever we are in those places, we grab on to what it is that provides us some source of tension reduction. And ultimately, the goal is to get to a place of living where in living, we connect with others, we nurture others as they nurture us. But when we go back to that place of subsistence from very early infancy, we can see in children, for instance, as they pass through, sadly, that place of a wide open reality, they find themselves grasping at the world for these un in these unhealthy ways to get the gratification that they need. And that begins the process of what I refer to as artificial pleasures. These pleasures are things that ease the tension momentarily. They feel or they appear to give us the illusion that they are easing, not only easing the tension, but really giving us some gratification. But if they were, why are they so short lived? If they really were bringing us happiness, why are they so short lived? It's like we talked about last week when we think about the choices that we make, whether it is sexual or whether it is physical, aggressive, you know, um, acting physically toward ourselves through drugs or alcohol or any other number of things that we might do. You know, those types of things don't give us true pleasure. What they do is they provide us with a momentary gratification of the tension, which takes away our fear for a moment. But it also is evident in the fact that in taking away this fear, it lasts only a moment because almost immediately you light up that other cigarette or you're looking for the next high or you're looking for the next conquest of another human being. You know, someone that you can take advantage of in order to get the tension reduction that your ego is looking for. In that space, we don't bear responsibility for other people. We're so focused on self-preservation we're so focused on easing that tension, easing the fear that would come if we can't reduce that tension, that we come about this subjective, self-focused view of how to deal with the world. As we move into existence, we start focusing a little bit more on relating with other people. But sadly, that relating with other people is much more focused on fantasy. In that space, we feel and find individuals, I should say, who are much more narcissistic. They develop these fantasies around themselves to say, okay, well, this is the way the world is. And as long as the world functions that way, they're at peace. You know, at least internally, they're at peace. The complication with it is this, is that they can't relate to other people. Because as soon as they do, God forbid, one of those other people gives them the sense that, wait a minute, this isn't the way the world really works. This is not the way things really are. And so it's not really possible for them to let other people in their lives in ways that are certainly anything but pathological. Because to evoke and challenge these fantasies, to evoke the fear that comes from challenging these fantasies, you leave the person in a desperate psychological place where they believe that no one loves or cares about them. And it oftentimes leads to a regression back to a place of subsistence and artificial pleasures. 
there there is no responsibility for others either because they can't allow themselves to really be responsible for what it is another person needs they can't going back to what mary had talked about earlier they can't really pray for another person without the consideration that as long as the prayer fits my fantasy everything is fine but that doesn't really work that way because even though the other person may be asking them for something it requires the person in the place of existence to be objective, to see what it is another person is experiencing, what they're going through. And the complication is this. How do you do that when you're so wrapped up in your own fantasies in order to protect yourself? You can't. It's only when we get to a place of living, a place where you know, we begin to think about what it is that the other person needs. We begin to think about how it is we would like the other person to think about what we need. You know, it's not just about me doing it for me. It's not just about me fantasizing about me getting what it is I need and everybody wanting to give it to me. Indeed, now is that place, is that time, is that space where this other person, I hope, will give me what it is I need, will value me enough to give me what it is I need. And it's only as we progress in that space that we find ourselves not only thinking objectively, but accepting as well our subjective viewpoint of the world. But this time, not with the goal of self-preservation, but with the goal of the preservation of the other. Because we know, or we believe, or we hope, or we pray, that the other person will think about what it is that we need as well that they will be objective and they will be about the preservation of us. And it's when we get to this space that when we can allow ourselves to be responsible individuals. And when we think about that, you know, responsibility requires, therefore, something very significant, which is, you know, not only does it require that we connect with another human being, or that we allow ourselves to see that other people see the world as they see it, that they have needs that they're looking for to be gratified, and that those needs may not be the same, or they may not be met in the same ways that we're looking for that gratification. You know, And so whether that person is in a place of subsistence or existence, or if we're fortunate in a place of living, you know, one way or another, a person in a place of living wants to be there for other people. They want to meet the needs of another person. They care about what it is that other person needs. It goes back to an earlier podcast when we talked about Mary's friend Carla and her grandson and his six-year-old wisdom of being able to say, you know, it doesn't matter what they're going to do with the money. That's on them. You know, But when you give money to someone who is needs it, who is poor, or who is begging, you know, who may even be using those drugs those, that money for drugs or alcohol, we don't know. But one way or another, it is about giving to that person and being, as we talked about, Christ-like. You know, it's about saying, you know, this is what it is that we're here to do in relationship to other people, to care about mankind. You know, each of us, we all do, we run into people on a perpetual basis who are begging who are in need. They may not be begging on a street corner. They may not be homeless and desperately seeking warmth and shelter. And they may not even be homeless who are just pushing people away and yelling at people as they walk by. You know, they're 
our friends, they're our neighbors, they're our strangers, they're our mailman, they are, you know, any person that we might see walking down the street. They're every other human being. They're all in need, every one of us. And living affords us that opportunity to really be there for these people, to say, you know, I want to meet your needs, to take care of you in the best way that I can, because I know that it's unlikely that you're going to give me anything in return. But that's okay, because it's a pleasure for me, psychologically speaking, morally speaking, to care for my fellow man. If you'll recall, one of the things we talked about in these podcasts was um, C.S. Lewis's work on morality in his book, Mere Christianity. And I thought it was a beautiful metaphor about ships in a convoy and that the ships are traveling along in this convoy and that to live a moral life in relationship to these ships, if we can imagine ourselves as being a ship, is to live in three ways that are sound morally, three realms. The first realm is to say, okay, I need to do what I can not to do harm to another human being. You know, so think about that in terms of your life. Think about how it is that we relate to other people and am I doing them harm? We may not think so because, you know, as we're driving along and this person cuts us off and, you know, someone, you might flip them off or you might be screaming at them in the car, you know, you may be alone or you may not be. But in doing so, even though they may or may not know you, they may look in that rearview mirror and they may see this person flip them off and they may suffer as a byproduct of that, you know, and you may want them to, and that would be sad. But at the same time, we're doing harm to another person. And that person is, if we think about those moral realms, is a part of us, is connected to us, is a part of humanity as much as we are. And so what stops us from just saying, okay, well, this person cut me off for their own reasons, or this person's speeding by for their own reasons, you know, and that I hope that they will not get in an accident. I hope they will not hurt anyone else. But in that moment, that's, you know, letting them go is being one of those ships in the convoy that says, okay, I'm not going to crash into you. I'm not going to do you any harm. I'm going to let you live your life. I hope that you will slow down, that you will take care of yourself and not do harm to other people. That's a measure of responsibility for others. The second moral realm was a consideration of what it is we need to do for ourselves. There's so many therapists, I think, out there, sadly, who are very much focused on self-care, but I think they're focused on it in the wrong way. You know, they're, they're, they act as if, well, you know, I need to take time for myself to focus on the things that gratify me or that please me. Nothing wrong with that. However, at the same time, you have to make sure that you're not doing harm to other people and you have to make sure that the choices that you're making in terms of relating or taking that time for yourself are healthy ways. It's easy to fall back into those artificial pleasures. It is easy to fall back into some measure of fantasy, whether that fantasy is, look how great I am and I deserve all this break and all these other types of things. Be careful. The goal of self-care and the best form of self-care is to allow ourselves to connect with other people, to be around others, and to relate to them in healthy ways. Which brings us to our third realm of morality, 
that Lewis talked about. And that realm was the recognition, using the ships again as a metaphor, the recognition that these ships don't belong to us. You know, and it wraps it all together. These ships belong to God. You know, we are a part of God's creation, a part of humanity that God put here. And he didn't say to us, okay, well, wreck your ship. It doesn't matter if it's seaworthy or not. I don't care if you use drugs or alcohol or any number of other types of things that you might do, you vaping or smoking or whatever it might be, having sex, you know, with people you don't know, you don't love, you don't care about, you know, it's not about just hurting yourself or gratifying yourself or hurting other people. It's about the recognition that we are one. And in a healthy way, why would we ever want to do harm to ourselves? You know, there are individuals who will, of course, do harm to themselves. But even at a deeper level, unconsciously, there'll be a part of them that will say, what are you doing? This isn't healthy. Please don't do this anymore. That's why it's such a conflict when people will do harm to themselves. You know, they don't want to keep doing harm to themselves. They may feel guilt. They may feel shame about it. One way or another, it's the psyche's way of saying that there's something wrong here. I need to do things differently. And I think that when we think about these three realms, we must be considerate of all three realms in a moral life in order to be healthy and taking responsibility for ourselves and taking responsibility for others. I know it's not easy because we do, as human beings, live in a lot of fear. You know, we have been raised in ways that lead to fear in our lives, raised to think that no one's going to be there for me the way I need them to be, or people will look down upon me, or people will see me as less worthy than I wish they would see me. You know, we all have these plagues, these plaguing thoughts that exist in the part of the ego that I call the non-rational. They exist there and they plague us. The complication is this, is that, you know, if we don't begin to work on those thoughts, that we don't begin to work on those feelings about ourselves, you know, we will struggle with allowing other people to come in. And if we don't allow other people to come in and connect with us, we fall back into those fantasies. We fall back into those artificial pleasures and we say, no, don't need anybody. I'll take care of myself. But in that case, we're not only not being responsible to the world around us, we're not even being responsible to ourselves. And so we have to ask, you know, what is the best way for me to be a responsible human being? It goes back to the podcast from last week and from the week before. And that pod, those podcasts talked about taking the risk. It's about ultimately in the long run, taking a measure of risk. It doesn't have to be large. It can be a small step. Like we talked about last week, lingering a little bit longer in that space. As we discussed, it's like the idea of staying with God for just a moment longer or staying with the question, do I believe that God exists just a little longer? Or is it possible that someone will love me? linger there just a little longer. Now you'll hear that non-rational voice inside of your head that will say, nope, it's not possible. No one could love you. So move on, find some way of dealing with this tension. But if I linger with it just a little longer, just a smidge, I think what I'll find is that there are people who are there for me. 
no, life is not a Hallmark movie. And I know I have a few listeners who love Hallmark movies, but it, life isn't like a Hallmark movie, you know. It would be lovely if it was, if people all treated each other with that level of love and care and respect. But I do think it is possible for us. I do think it's something that is attainable. And it just becomes a question of whether or not we allow ourselves to take that measure of responsibility for others by allowing ourselves to accept that maybe we are worth loving, worth taking care of, and worth taking responsibility for ourselves as well. I wish you all the best. Be well.